it's one of those things that I that really makes me giddy. It's like the the bizarre, trashy universe of Hollywood, where you do where you're like you know taking off your bad Darth Vader mask, and you're like, oh hey, nice to meet you, and you got your like <laughs> you know like like Princess Leia outfit, and it's like uh, you know it's just some shitty we set should, in Italy or we something. We should do a movie together, you and <laughs> we me. We should talk about. actually movie. I got a script. But a guy cuts off broad <laughs> yeah. scalps, you know, and she's like, it's just like, you know, that's Hollywood, man, you know. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. All right, everybody. Welcome back to yeah. One Fucking Hour. I am uh, Evan Husney, joined, of course, uh, by my usual guys here. We got to the left, Tom Fitzgerald. Tom. Greetings. <laughs> and you better be ready for it this time. Marcus, to your my right. Marcus, what's going on? You, you talking to me? <laughs> oh. Talking to me? Hey, you're, you're a week late <laughs> on that. What's going on? Uh, I think he says it in this movie, too, actually. Oh, does, does he? That line does. Oh, maybe. Okay. A little parallel <laughs> um, um, all right. Okay. Well, that's pretty good then. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Good everybody. <laughs> that's great. It's, the show's uh, now called One Fucking Minute. So, <laughs> all right. That's all I got anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, Motherfucking goddamn. <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right. Well, this uh, fucking week uh, is going to be, or this fucking hour uh, for this fucking week is going to be on the 1980 uh, slasher movie Maniac. Uh, so we're going to be looking into that. Um, Guy's a maniac. <laughs> Guy's a freaking maniac over here. Freaking maniac over here. Yeah. yeah. Chopping I got some people up. <laughs> Actually, before I hit the clock, I'm just going to mention that, you know, we're going to get into this. But Joe Spinell, you know, as the maniac, you know, after he was in this movie, you know, like cabbies all over New York City would honk as he was walking around the city being like, hey, it's the maniac. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, no so, kidding. Really? So, yeah. How you doing, it? fellas? It's the maniac over here. Wow, okay, I here did we not go. know that. Mm -hmm. All right, so here we go. We're going to start the clock. Uh, here we go, boys. Bing, bing, bing. Right. All right, little background on this movie. All right, maniac is the mega dark... 16-millimeter slasher from 1980, which stars brilliant character actor Joe Spinell, as we just mentioned, uh, as a deranged serial killer, Frank Zito, a troubled mannequin fetishist who is haunted by visions of his abusive mother. He stalks New York City's grimiest streets, scalping one victim at a time in this highly controversial and game-changing entry into the DIY horror underground. So... That is Maniac, uh, and again, you know, you can't talk about Maniac without Joe Spinell. And I thought that we'd sort of just kick this thing off by just t uh, educating the people on on Joe a little bit. You know, he is one of the more beloved, celebrated character actors among real, you know, cinephiles. Uh, his IMDb, the movies that he's been in, is pretty freaking. You know, his his uh, the range of these classics that he's in. He's in Rocky, Taxi Driver. Mm -hmm. The Godfather. He's in one and two. He's in one and two. That's right. He's in Godfather yeah. one and two. The Seven Ups, ninety two in the shade. Star Crash, oh. Cruising, Sorcerer, The Ninth Configuration, Cruising. Yeah, Nighthawks. Forbidden. And 
Forbidden yeah. Zone. Thank yeah. you. Good yeah. call. So yeah, he's, in, he's, he's every, in a ton of stuff. He, and he brightens up all those films, even if it's just like 90 seconds. It's true. Like in Forbidden Zone. It's yeah. just, uh, he brings so much to it. I would call him, uh, I don't know, it just hit me the other day. I was like, not that he's like the East Coast Timothy Carey. That's kind of stupid. But like, he feels on par with Timothy Carey in a way. Just like a real loose cannon, um, scene stealing um uh you know like a character actor who's on the periphery of everything and probably has really dope friends and i think they yeah. both did and they were both kind of um eccentric but uh with yeah. sophisticated tastes you know right. and uh and very idiosyncratic acting styles and uh anyway i could see some kind of similarity between the two that's i don't know anything about joe spinell except what i, I see on I think he's just an incredibly charming guy. And I think that anyone he met, like from Sylvester Stallone, who he was tight with, or, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, or like any of these like major directors. Robert Duvall was a friend. Right. Or Robert Duvall. And these guys, I think they were just immediately charmed by, well, this guy is eccentric, but like I, there's something about him that's drawing me into him. And that comes across on the screen, but people like just liked having him around. Yeah, yeah, I think he was cool to hang out with and also like super helpful and always wanted to help other people out and stuff. Like he actually what I ever heard is that he gave like uh Stallone like he, he helped Stallone get Rocky made or something. Like he helped he helped him like yeah. he really believed in him and helped him get that project going. Oh. And, um, and and well, are you gonna say it? I'm the, gonna say uh, it. I, I was just about to say it. I was gonna say like I think right. the evidence of all of this, you can see, <laughs> you know, on film, you know, or on video, probably, but when right. uh, you know Joe Spinell is you know present for when they're um, announcing the Oscar <laughs> nominations in 1970, whatever, during the Oscar season for Jaws, <clears throat> right. and uh, Steven Spielberg is nominated for Best Picture. Uh, the, the Jaws is, but Steven Spielberg is not nominated for Best Director, and um, right. and and Joe Spinell is <laughs> cutting a promo. <laughs> About uh, well, how can you be nominated for best uh, picture but not best? Director? I don't get it. You make yeah. the best movie, but you didn't do it the best way. What the <laughs> heck? And he's wearing a he's wearing a Jaws shirt. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's incredible footage. I'm, I'm sure we'll cut to it during this stupid oh, yeah. podcast. But like, uh, they're like crouched over the TV. You know, it's like 8 a.m. and they're doing the 1975 nominations. And yet, and they're all like, "Oh, he was robbed!" And it's just like, "What am I watching?" And it just shows. No, but just back to the point of what we're talking about is just like, okay, for some reason, Joe Spinell was like absolutely essential for Steven Spielberg to have In at the moment. announcement. <laughs> Jaws, yeah. like nomination. I heard like, he was supposed was, to actually be in Jaws, supposedly. Like he was oh, supposedly yeah. he was supposed to be in Jaws. And uh, he turned it down for some reason or another. I didn't want to wow. travel or something, but he was supposed to be one of the guys like on the pier. Remember when like the shark is like uh, ripping up the pier, like the like, two guys are running. And he's like, "Run, Larry, run!" Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like Joe is supposed to be the guy, like at the edge of that. the pier, yelling, yeah. "Run!" For some reason, he turned it down, and then like, oh, that would have been yeah. Dope. When uh, I guess he just happened to be in town, like around Oscar season, they said like, you know. Uh, someone bumped into Steven. One of Steven's yeah. people bumped into him. Was like, Steven wants you to come to his house, like right now. And they're shooting this thing. So like, amazing. Said, uh, it just shows that he's got this kind <laughs> of uh, like uh, I was going to say Zelig, but maybe this Forrest Gump kind of Hollywood life. You know? <laughs> yeah. Something. Yeah. Like that. Totally. Yeah. totally. Anyway, help us out about Spinel. Well, You're the Spinel whisperer today, uh, Evan. Yeah, but it's yeah. He seems like the guy that would be like, got your back. He'd take the shirt off his back for you. He'd, he'd be such a good natured. 
you know, guy. He's super charming, but he's also the guy you know that would just totally tear down a strip club and he would be the one, you know, crowd surfing, you know, like you know, he would probably just be the life of any party and, you know, he's a center right. probably of attention and all right. these guys yucking it up just would appreciate it. You know that. what he is? He's fun Bukowski. <laughs> <laughs> like something like that. I could see that. Like yeah. instead of a down pain in the ass, you know, like. No, uh, not at all. Yeah. I no. sense that. Just Go a ahead. great fun loving dude. But anyway, and so that, but yeah, like Bukowski, hard living, right? Like he could tell yeah. that he was like, uh, oh yeah, drinking and but also <laughs> salt of the yeah. Also, we were talking about earlier, like salt of the earth. Like right. I don't know, we got this little catchphrase going that he sort of and and in this film represent kind of um, the autorism of uh, 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 the working class. It's the um, Queens Plumbing Company van uh, sophistication that um, seems to be exemplified by. The film and Joe, you know, um, and that's he was a very yeah, he, special. He was a taxi driver for a while, like for like, you know, nine sure. years or something like, you know, sure. like, so, yeah, he lived that life. A hundred percent. And you could see it on his face. I mean, his face is so distinct, you know, with those <laughs> pock marks and the hard lines and everything. That's what makes him a great character actor. But I mean, he really yeah. is, you know, completely authentic. And, you know, we're, we're definitely going to get that, you know, and that's what I think makes Maniac extra scary. Uh, but we're going to get to that uh, in just a second. Just a quick little sort of background on, you know, how uh, Joe Spinell met the director of Maniac, uh, Mr. William Lustig. Um, I think an acquaintance of all three of ours, I'm sure, from being around in the, you know, movie theater world. Um, but uh, Joe Spinell was uh, uh, met Lustig on the set of The Seven Ups, you know, uh, the film with Roy Scheider. And Joe was playing a thug or something, and but he was, again, just one of the more approachable people on set, and Lustig was a PA on that movie. And so he got to know Joe through that, started talking to him about horror horror movies, and they liked horror movies, you know, and so they liked those uh, things, and they, and they, and they stayed uh, in, in touch until Bill, uh, William, Bill, was making, uh, raising money for his first real uh, feature film and so um, you know then they put all this money together him and his partner uh, Lustig had a partner Andrew Garoni and they put a total of $48,000 together uh, put it in a uh, like basically opened up a bank account and started filming uh, not really making a budget or a schedule or anything and so wow. just a lot of this movie was very DIY very scrappy then they ran out of money and then of course they raised some additional uh, which was like, through like just just to stop like uh I'm going to assume every shot is stolen completely. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it's total punk rock <laughs> in this movie. And I didn't know it was 16. You, you mentioned I didn't yeah. even know it was that low. Uh, mm. uh, yep. 60 millimeter. And basically, oh. like you're seeing, you know, shots in the New York subway, you know, where they're in subway cars. Of course, there's no permits, no nothing. Um, and, and again, and the only way you could make a movie like that, like that rogue in New York City at that time was with the help of. Uh, one of uh, one uh, a friend of the show, uh, one fucking hour friend of the show, Randy Jurgensen, a man that we talk about a lot when we we uh, he's a former uh, New York City cop we talked about in the oh, cruising right. and the French Connection right. episode. Right. He was the, yeah, yeah. So he basically a fan of movies. You know, he would flash his shield wow. anytime cops would give any trouble to the production. So he he was basically distracting wow. all the station agents while they were filming the subway scenes and stuff. Wow. So it's just super cool that. You know, he also has a connection to both this movie and the Freakin' films that we've talked about. But Randy Jordan no is a legend, yeah. So, and he's in the how movie. Can, how they, briefly, how can they? What is he in the movie? Stuff? Is he one of the detectives? He's a te he's one of the detectives at the very end that comes out of the, yeah when they come, come through the the door. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, after 
Joe Spinell is murdered by ghosts. Right. Uh, wowie zowie. It's amazing. Yeah. And the stolen shots and just a little anecdote. I had always heard that the incredible Gorset piece of um, Savini blowing his own head up in the car uh, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, they're firing a, a shot in New York City and that could get you just five years instantly, you know? Oh, yeah. So they, was a, they had like oh. 60 seconds to get the hell out of there, like post firing the gun itself yeah. you know so uh that it was just, a live round it was it, it was a it, it was right. a live round out of a shotgun they had a getaway car they threw the gun in, in the trunk of the car took off uh in order to get the shot clean it was, and, yeah it, it was yeah. a live round so it went yeah. through the window and yep. it went through the fake head with the apple cores and uh spaghetti sauce and shrimp and filled up yeah. the fake yeah. <laughs> and it looked great, and they really made a meal out of it on screen too. Just like oh, they let that so shot good. run it's, on. It's, it's the gore scene. It's the yeah. there's nothing that beats that. It's the and you know can I just say I just have one little sort of t-shirt thing about Maniac. It's power, and I just thought of it today. It was like the problem with Maniac, how it's so effective and so unsettling even now, is uh, that um, you know uh, Joe is too good. So he's really selling this really disgusting, sweaty piece of shit guy. He's too good at it. It's like a real actor finally making this awful protagonist or antagonist. And um, and Savini's too good. So it's like you don't. What I mean is you you can usually escape getting really messed up by a horror movie because um, you know there's these tells that it's just a cheap production. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, that, you know, like the, 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 the it's threadbare and like the wires are showing. And so it kind of gives you a break, but not this film. It's so suffocating because it's so yeah. well done. And Texas Chainsaw, I think, is maybe the only other one that's like that. Everything's on all cylinders. So you, so you get, can get lost in the film. Anyway. Right. Now, I feel that, too. It's like a lot of times you're looking at the gore and I'm not a big gore person myself. But a lot of times if I do see a gore in a movie, I'm like, it's like eye rolling because it looks bad or. You're kind of laughing at it because it was like yeah. pulled off dumb or whatever. Right. This one makes you feel really queasy and like you know. Um, I know. I gotta say, like when his head is being torn off. I mean, do you guys agree? Those effects are so yeah. good when his head's being torn off at the end that yeah. it's just like I'm watching someone's head being torn off. I don't think of like mm-hmm. the how-to. What do you guys think? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, every well, that one I do see the the head a little bit. Oh. Like I do see like. Never the, mind. <laughs> but um, but uh, every time, yeah. I mean, no, just, I, just I'm going to disagree gripping, with you there, Tom. Because the, grip, that, no, yeah. the gripping it, I mean, the gripping <laughs> yeah. at the neck part. No, I guess it's, it's a horrific is, moment. It's a great that, shot and a horrific moment. But if you look at the face, I I, I see a little bit of just the. Yeah, but that moment is really well I mean, done. The over neck, the head and uh, stuff, and yeah. yeah. Anyway. I think it's like every time he killed a woman in that movie, I I would win. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, oh no, no, ugh. you know. And so like I I feel it's very viscerally effective as a film, which I, it's what you're saying is like that it's um well, uh yeah, it's a, it's a cut above others. If so. if we can just say, I mean, you know, kind of off the top, we were rattling off all these movies that Joe has been in as a, as a very small part, you know, a very memorable but small part. But he also, you know, this is his starring role. This is his first opportunity to really you know uh be the marquee star and he always said during the making of this movie or leading up to it if stallone could have his name above the credits so could i you know and that's what you know this is you know which is so so you know this is the movie he does that okay uh but um i know like uh like i want to break out as a lead leading man where i where i rip (laughs) women's scalps off their heads right Totally. What do you think? I, totally. I know he, he like he helped write it too, right, and produce it. Yeah. So like he went all in on it. It's know? like a co-collaboration with uh, 
oh, the Billy yeah. Lustig, I think. And I, I definitely want to touch on some of that stuff. But one thing, if I can, for me about Joe in this movie, uh, observation is, you know, most serial killer movies, I mean, it's not all, most, you know, don't really have truly unattractive actors playing mm. serial killers. You know, I mean, you might say Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, you know, maybe, but no, nobody looks like Joe, you know, playing a serial killer in most movies. Yeah. And I'm saying most ones that we're aware of that aren't super deep cut, you know. And Which it's makes like, it... It adds believability to it. It doesn't look like uh, it was a casting call thing, you know. It, oh, my God. No, exactly. And and sometimes, like, I, I don't know. I kind of equate it to, like, I'll pass people on the street or I'll see someone, like, in a diner, you know, and be like, holy shit. Imagine if that guy, you know, played a serial killer in a movie. That would be the scariest see, fucking see, thing ever. See, Evan lives in New York and we live in California, so we don't actually have that. Oh, that's so true. Well, actually, yeah, no, I, I'm I not can, even kidding. Sorry. If I can, if I can, mm-hmm. about 10 years ago, I saw this guy uh, in a New York City Whoa. diner. And I was like, okay. but if this guy, you know, was in a, a serial killer movie, that's what this movie is like to me. Yeah. It's like somebody like, off the street. That's like a Nathan for you guy. Yeah. Too, you, know? Know. Um, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. No, totally. Right. But that guy wrapped in like a very like a very good actor who you can't yes. take your eyes off Joe. Well, yeah. And he's and he's like, you know, he actually he adds a lot of dimension. Weirdly, adds a lot of dimension to this character. And you, I mean, the music kind of uh, you feel sympathy. You feel sympathy for the character in I some know. ways. Like he's sort really of like sick a that they do that. Sad, sick child. <laughs> I know it's weird. It's the music makes it kind of uh, adds to that like emotional point of view that you feel kind of like. A little bit of the tragedy of the. He's the character. only full character in the film. Even Carolyn Monroe is kind of just a sketch. I gotta say, yeah. I was I was racking my brain right before we started doing uh, this. Um, are there other? Just to speak to what you were saying, just to live on this for one second. Like when a character actor has a lead role, it could be sort of strange and special. And all I could think of just now was um, Uncle Joe Shannon, uh, <laughs> which was uh, um, Burt Young's leading role. Back to uh, back to Rocky. So he's, yeah, what's the brother in Rocky? Uh, why am I not thinking of that? You know, he's the brother in Rocky. Yeah, 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 I can't. I can't so, and he's, you know, and he's uh, Talia Shire's brother. No, he's not. No, he's, no, he's Talia Shire's brother. And he and uh, he's best friends with Rocky. And that's Burt Young. And there's a movie from 1979 where Burt Young's the lead. And it's kind of like, hmm. And then he never did another lead role again. <laughs> uh, it, and it's weird, you know. So that's, there are a few other examples, but it can, um, it, it is a very special micro, uh, you know, thread in, in film. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, Joe tears it up. It's the but, rare, um, like, successful version of that. I think, uh, isn't it, um, you know, we were talking last week about how uh, in Taxi Driver, he's kind of cool and you feel some sympathy for him, even though he's doing these, he does something horrible, you know. Um, and I felt that in this movie, too, you feel sympathy for the character. And we were also talking about um, how... There was a little criticism of Taxi Driver for like how he's like able to charm people, you know. And this movie does. I was thinking about that one in terms of this movie too, because there's a whole kind of diversion with Carolyn Monroe's character where he's sort of like charming her and like, and I and, and it seems like a curi- like he's acting like an artist or something or like an agent or something to get into that world. And I just wondered about I don't know. It, it it's a great performance and Joe's very charming and stuff. And it's like kind of nitpicky to critique this movie on that level. But it got me thinking about it just in terms of what we were talking about last week with Taxi Driver, that like he, <laughs> the character would be incapable of being like 
that right. charismatic well, and charming. And I felt like that a little bit with the maniac. Well, it's, well that's well, I, if I could rephrase what you're saying in a way, it's like, it's funny that this film took some taxi driver elements, including one that kind of like rang the bell a little wrong for us and Pauline Kael, by the way, uh, where, um, where did De Niro become so charming? Because I just saw him kind of uh, like, like mumbling and buying milk duds and barely being, <laughs> you know, verbal with anybody, right? Monosyllabic, you know, and it's like, where did this come from? Where he's kind of like, uh, he's got a little game, but it's true. Joseph, they, they grabbed that from Taxi Driver and did that for this film. And um, it is odd because I guess it's like, I, I, for me, it's like, forget Taxi Driver for a second, but it's like in this film, it's like, why can he not just do that? And just date you know what i mean like and i guess what they're doing there's a lot of and i don't know if it's a criticism but i find it cute there's a lot of like real um trashy like dime store freudianism in this film like mama beat me you know that kind of thing but then also like um there's two sides of them and you never know which one you're gonna get and it's like some days he really does love carolyn monroe and then some days he's like you bitch you know and it's like um with all that kind of threadbare freudianism i think there's something that they're grappling for, which is just like, there's a good Joe Spinell and there's a bad Joe well, Spinell. So I if think I the can, good one, but talk to me. Yeah. So I, I, I know what the deal is with these scenes more so than I do with taxi driver, but basically the reason for these scenes in this movie, which is kind of funny and very indicative of a low S budget movie that needs some money <laughs> is, um, <laughs> So Carolyn awesome. Monroe's husband is the key financer of this movie. So after the forty-eight <laughs> grand ran out, you know they basically got this guy um, Judd Hamilton. I want to say at the top. I think that's his name. He was Carolyn Monroe's husband at the time, and he put up the rest of the money for the movie. And so those scenes are pretty much padding to get her in the movie more. You know, hey, kind of thing. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. Got to do what you got to do. <laughs> and it's funny because if you. If you listen to the audio commentary track, uh, God, I'm such a nerd for this movie. If you listen to the uh, Laserdisc audio commentary track, Ooh, um, the uh, uh, Lustig says on there that uh, he basically watches these scenes a little bit and cringes because he basically admits that they don't work at all, and it doesn't, you know, he, you know, it doesn't really like he he could never get to that point of being that, you know, understanding or like being that simple, you know. He, like these scenes just don't really work and it's kind of hard for him to watch. And I think he might've done Sorry. various cuts on the movie, actually trimming them down even further. So they're not favorite um, parts fine. of his in the movie That's and fine. something they sort of had to do. And they're super young at the time right. making this freaking movie. Oh, so. of course. Right, now what right. I heard on Carolyn's side of things, just to, this is what I do know uh, yeah. is uh, that, that Carolyn met Joe Spinell on the set. Of course, you know, we've all been there. We've all been on the set of a bad Star Wars ripoff. Yeah. And they met on the set of Star Crash. I love right. that they're both in this. I yeah, love that. But that's but, but it's not just that. It's where they met. And she really fell for him. She's I saw an interview it's online or something where she's like, uh, he's the most charming man in the world. And I just, I love him. I loved him then. I still love him. And, like, she just has an enormous amount of affection for him. And um, I think she was ready to ride or die with him, including this film. With her, I think it was just... Be, that and the the husband's money and you know like let's get my well, wife in yeah movie. i'm sure she loved him it's like the inertia of joe you know I'm yeah sure she yeah exactly yeah. yeah but it's funny that they meet on that set and uh maybe we yeah, can yeah. roll some of that footage you know in the post when we talk about this but it's just um it's one of those things that i that really makes me giddy it's like the the bizarre trashy universe of hollywood 
where you do where you're like you know taking off your bad Darth Vader mask and you're like oh hey nice to meet you and you got your like <laughs> you know like like Princess Leia outfit and it's like uh, you know it's just some shitty we set should, in Italy or we something. We should do a movie together, you and <laughs> we me. We should talk about. actually movie. I got a script, but a guy cuts off broad <laughs> yeah. scalps. You know, and she's like, it's just like, you know, that's Hollywood, man. You know, yeah. hooray for Hollywood. You know, yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's, it's a, someone should make a remake yeah, no. of uh, the, the making of, of Maniac. Maniac on Starcraft. That sounds fun. Point that sounds really fun. And yeah. so, yeah. So, uh, but but going going to Joe back to Joe in this movie. You know, um, we were sort of talking about the the Queen's Plumbing Company auteur theory here, uh, which I think is, you know, Cinema, Joe, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you know, Joe Cinema. is contributing so much creatively to this. And I thought it was interesting, you know, uh, how this sort of idea came about to make this movie in the first place was one of uh, Bill Lustig's friends basically said, hey, you should make Jaws on land. You know, Jaws. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. And they didn't uh, make claws. <laughs> oh my god! But you should be as if there was no, as if there was no precedent for that. As if right. no one had ever made a film where there's a, a person killing people. I know on foot. It's like but, what? Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> go ahead. Purely, go ahead. it's just a purely you know like because it did so well. You should do it. Yeah. Money. Hey, that's it's hey, look, that, that's so Queen's plumbing. That kind of yeah. thing. That, that does tie in. I saw an old news report of Bill Lustig talking about. There's like a criticism of violence in movies, and he does talk about this movie in relation to Jaws briefly, mm. and, but in relation to following the POV of the killer. And at that moment, I was thinking about, you know, his point. It's like, oh, even if you follow the POV of the killer of the shark in Jaws, doesn't mean that it's uh, you're sympathizing with a shark, you know, or whatever he says. Right. But uh, uh, anyway, it's interesting because that could have, you know, you do kind of follow. The, some of the guns, like you're looking down the barrel, you know, like like a, like a shark coming out of the water. So maybe that did inform some of. Oh his, yeah, like, and the, it know. opens with kind of a scene on the beach. You that know, does feel it, like yeah, that feels yeah. exactly like Jaws. And, actually, and it, yeah. and it does, and it has that. And, and, oh and that my seems, good god, it's more like <laughs> yeah, more like Jaws than I thought. Yeah. yeah. Well, the no, opening scene. You know what the opening scene does? It always reminds me of a dream sequence in The Sopranos. Yes. And that's very cool. Totally, you know, because it's like gaming, and, and I love that at uh, the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, and, and those those things, those I was just in um, Rockway Beach. Those friggin' like uh, you know telescope. What are those oh, things? Yeah. Binocular the, the, things. The binocular things. Yeah, yeah, that are on every like you know uh, down the boardwalk, and I'm like, it's just so Sopranos to me. It's just, <laughs> yeah, no, you're totally right, and it's really yeah. freaky too. Like, and of course. You know, you could tell with the sound design, they're really experimenting with the high frequencies and the low frequencies, you know, and they're doing all that. And the, and that the one shot of the guy getting like garroted too. That's a pretty freaking brutal ass effect there, Mr. Salvini. Uh, but um, the one I thing like I want to say. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say the Jaws on land thing to just tie that together real quick and then we'll, we'll bring it somewhere else is just that um, the... Uh, once that was put into Lustig's head as an idea, it was like, okay, well, what's the monster going to be? And then and him and Joe sat down and figured out the monster was really inside the mind of this character, of Joe Spinell's character, right? Right. And, and, and not, that's like, what uh, not like a thing from the sewer or no. like uh, right. Martian or something. Right. So, right. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, right. I was thinking about that when, we were, when I was watching because they call it a horror movie and stuff. And it's like uh, back in the day before you made a distinction between that was a horror movie has like, Usually has a kind of like a supernatural element to it now, 
right? And this is like more of a slasher. If it's like a real person going after somebody or something. Well, even back um, then, it was like uh, still the exception to have a, a non supernatural horror film. Um, I mean, even Night of the Living Dead has a supernatural element, but Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw. in comparison, it did not. And Last House on the left did Psycho. not. Yeah. Yeah, but just getting more into the 70s cycle of things. It's like, yeah. um, like those films were so influential, and I think that they really flipped everybody's wig because they didn't have any kind of like, uh, you know, like extra dimensional, you know, paranormal kind of like uh, dimension well, to it. So, right. um, and I think I that because like even Halloween is a little supernatural, oh, yeah. like like you know, he gets up at the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. What are you saying, Marcus? I think, and, and then Friday the Thirteenth gets absurd by three, the third film. Go ahead. Right, right. He's sort of it's right. I don't want to give it away, but you're right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It has some. It's rooted in reality. Yeah, um, no Jason gave away spoilers. <laughs> no Jason spoilers. Here. So yeah, we yeah. Come watch on, the here. movie, guys. Okay, so um. Just when uh, the uh, the when you can when you watch this movie, I was thinking a lot about the how they built the monster in their mind of like how they put together this guy, and he feel really feels like an amalgam of like all these sources. Like he's a little bit psycho, right? Talking to his mom, you know. Yeah. He's a little yep. bit of son of Sam. That that one scene where the shooting in the car, Zodiac, you know, like killing somebody on the killing a couple that's out for like a picnic, you know, mm-hmm. and like. Uh, the nurse killing a nurse reminded me of Richard Speck, you know, like in the and Jaws. So you're saying like so there's all you can kind of piece together like how they were like this is gonna be the ultimate fucking monster movie, right, <laughs> right, right. But yeah, anyway. but Son of Sam actually just maybe I wouldn't mind if we dovetailed into the setting, you know, of the film uh, for a second, New York fucking city, and we you know we've yeah. just done Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. And just to speak to what you're saying, that as we're ticking things off, there's the son of Sam. It seems hard to imagine now, but it really freaked that city out. I think they were looking for an excuse to freak out because they were freaking out by just living in New York City in 1977. <laughs> but um, just the randomness. And yeah, there's the scene where we talked about earlier where the, the gunshot, you know, blows uh, the Tom Sweeney character's head off. They are coming from a disco. They are parking. They are necking. And that is basically right ripped from the pages it is, of yeah. the Sam story. And that's just so horrific. And it's just, you know, thinking this film was born, it was shot in like 79. This was filmed at a strange time in New York City. The, um, you know, the uh, well, Son of Sam in 77. But then, of course, the blackout and the huge riots that happened, uh, the rampant violence. You know, there it was, it was so bad that, you know, people on the subway, they were having their fingers cut off so the criminals can get to the rings so there's you yeah. know it was it was you know what i mean and you had to turn your pinky ring i mean sorry you had to turn your ring around like oh on the subway i mean i'm not old enough to remember this but it's just i had heard like you got to do that and then it started to be this thing called no radio have you heard of this where you put mm-hmm. up a placard in your car you put up a placard and had pig letters that just oh. says no radio because what happens is they were just busting everyone's windows to get to the radio and yank it out that was the big desirable thing so everybody's like don't even try and it's just you would walk around new york city i remember this when i was a kid you'd just see no radio over and over again wow. so it was uh, it was like a war it was a war zone you know yeah. and uh, it's reflected in that song like the message you yeah. know the early hip-hop song mm-hmm. so um you know it's like right before Koch began to sort of clean things up it was at its lowest and that's right when this film was shot and it felt like an open sewer 
where maniacs are running the show and can yeah. kill you at any moment. And it's reflective of, um, you know, it's like, it's, I'll shut up after this, but it's like Taxi Driver. It's as if Joe Spinell was not working at the cab company, right? But it's his, in, a fa- in fan fiction that Travis Pickle at some point just is, you know, passing prostitutes and walking right by the Joe Spinell character in Maniac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it's that. the same yeah. town is all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's and just to go on what you're, we were talking about supernatural horror films and stuff. It's like obviously the guy. This is you know a very New York City movie. You got a bunch of tri-state area people making this movie, oh. and like yo, and and what they're responding to is obviously what's around them, you know, and that's what you know obviously is propelling this, and that's why they're you know looking more towards the Son of Sam version of horror, you know, versus yeah, doing right. anything more than that. But this movie does have. Some super supernaturally surrealist ah. dream sequences. <clears throat> yes, you know mm. where it has that kind of sad horror thing with you know the the mom coming through the grave and the mannequins coming to life and tearing them apart, which which make it awesome. I mean that that kind of puts it into yeah. another. But it's rooted enough into being yeah, the yeah. sweaty nightmares of a, of a des- you know New York typical yeah. New York City citizen mm-hmm. at the time. But uh, right. yeah, that's true. It does get fantastical. It's it's a good point. Yeah. I kind of spaced on that. Yeah. You know, can we talk about his place? Maybe. Yeah, that's where I want to go. Second? Exactly. If we can. Do you want to go? Because I want to go to that too. I, I want to preface this as: Does it say "born without a spine"? <laughs> that incredibly it's... disturbing sculpture. <laughs> I don't or is know. It mother? Maybe. I, I thought it said mother? Born, "born without a mother." Is what I thought it said. Mother. It is mother. <laughs> no, because. Okay, that's me and my 12-year-old friends when we rented this on video. We were like, what is that? We would freeze it. It was videotapes. hard to read. It would be pretty hard to read on VHS. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, we, and we just started saying born without a spine because I think that's what's – never mind. It's just that's what I think spina bifida is. And so like uh, – but it's mother, which sort of makes more sense. But, dude, that sculpture, though. You have, you yeah, have a there's a lot of it, sculpture. too. Yeah. No, but that one sculpture, the white baby upside down. No, I mean, yeah, I'm saying so there's like, a lot of it. We see it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, very prominent. You got any info on that? Oh, I have I have info on just the apartment in general. It's like you know well, the total, set dressing. Yeah, to, yeah, totally. Uh, you know, Queens pump, uh, Queens plumbing auteur strikes again. It's it's a it, it's a very Queens plumber auteur move is to mm-hmm. uh, approach a Russian artist in the east in the East Village to Ooh, design. I the, love it. <laughs> the That's almost liquid skyish. Yeah. Oh, I love it. really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go on. I'll shut up. Sorry. So, 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 some you know Russian artist that Joe probably you know got <sighs> smashed with at some bar in the East Village. He, well, I know this right. guy that we can bring in to do this thing. Hey, we're and making a movie. We're making a movie, and so you know, and that's a lot of it. A lot of the artwork you see in there is that guy's artwork, which oh, everything in there. Sick. And then, you have you a know, name? Joe, you have a name? I, I don't. Like you could look it up. I do have two funny details about it. Oh, um, go. Same story. That uh, one. Uh, Lustig said that they actually that the guy didn't know how to. He said like, "I oh, sure I can build sets or whatever." So he went there and started building it. But he was actually building a working apartment, like so, like the walls oh, yeah. you couldn't move the walls and like to shoot, you know. Oh, and like crazy. he made the sink work, you know. Right. And he spent right. way too much money and stuff. So he right. was actually building a real apartment instead of a set. And then also, um, uh, the what's her name sharon uh she's like the porno actress who's in this uh, yes so oh, sharon mitchell yeah. in a Q&A, she was saying that uh joe spinell met uh this guy this russian guy at the hellfire club oh. <laughs> call back to cruising oh. wait he yeah. joe did joe did mm-hmm. yeah i guess oh, she, she was saying like good. just saying it's the famous like uh 
S and M bar or whatever. Wow. So, right. um, amazing. And, Perfect. Uh, so that's where they said that she said that he was there doing research, you know, and that's where he met this Russian uh, artist and said like, Oh, you built, you're an artist. You should oh, build new sets for my movie. He's probably yeah, <laughs> doing the cruising quote unquote research. Mm-hmm. Wowie, Sowie. Well, if we can find out that name, I'd love to. I just want to see his work, you know. So yeah. that's Queen's Plumbing Company Autourism right there, Brendan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then <laughs> I love and that. Then, I got uh, this guy, this Russian guy. He makes crazy shit. It looks like a nutcase, like <laughs> art, you know. Oh, oh, that's what she said. That he worked at the Hellfire Club building some of the like oh, contraptions and stuff. See that the Russian sense. guy we're talking about, the yeah, same guy, yeah, the yeah, artist. Yeah. yeah. Wowie. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So yeah, his apartment. So, uh, do you have any insight on the Cracker Jacks? Did did Joe? I was wondering that. Too. So, but that's a that seems like such a Joe kind of mindset thing to do. Like you know, where he takes the Cracker Jacks and feeds it to the doll in the birdcage. Like that's oh. Oh, that, whatever no, that oh. is. Like you know, Paulie Gutierrez. Like, like, yeah. like Paulie Paulie Gutierrez auteur brain. I don't know how to explain that exactly, but it's ah. that sort of. Logic, you know what I'm saying? It's like yes. working class it's... method. I, I, I totally get you. No, and it's like I think it... he had heard somewhere. One sentence. He, he had probably heard somewhere like um, add es, um, eccentric uh, uh, isms. Maybe like a Brando move, like you know, because Brando yes. would do little things to distinguish himself yes. and do idiosyncratic little behaviors That's to help him get in character. Go ahead. Yes, I thought it was. I, I interpreted it as like sort of the the first little hint we get that he's just a big child inside who you know because he's like um he's got the whole thing with his mother he's crying he's like talking to his mom later but mommy don't go and stuff like that so i I interpreted it as just like the first little hint we get that he's just a big baby well just a quick joe detail very early on i think the first scene you see of him in the apartment he looks in the mirror and you see all the scars on his body you know and that Mm -hmm. was one of the details he wanted to have in there because he really put in a lot of the idea that he should be abused you know, by his mother, and and you're seeing visual hints of that, and Joe was really adamant about those little details. So yeah, it is mm-hmm. that Marlon Brando sort of detail-oriented <laughs> thing. It's like um, finding you your character. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because you see scars in Taxi Driver too. You know, right, and like, right, and, right, right. And I yeah. swear there is a line in this movie where he goes, like, Helen Monroe says to me, doing. He goes, "You talking to me?" She asks him out on a date, and he's like, "You talking to me?" Oh wow! Really? I know that that had to be. Yeah, you know, talking to me? Really? yeah. yeah. all right, all right. I'm sure that's a um, nod. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So he contributed a lot to this movie. There's also some ideas that hit the cutting room floor that he wanted to have in Ooh. this movie. I don't know if you guys have heard about the <laughs> clam at all. Yeah, let's let's just walk walk right by that one. <laughs> sure. Go ahead and Google that if you guys want. Are you familiar with you know, this? Are you familiar? I don't with know it. No. Oh, he just want, he was like, why don't we do brutal things to the women? And like one of them is like, why don't I bite part of her off? Yeah, and then uh, and then uh, just Ugh. Savini actually Savini okay. Savini <laughs> like hit his limit. He was like, oh, and he yeah, was like, yeah. I, can't, I, don't even, I don't even know how to do that. You know, like let's let's yeah. not do that, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. So well, what you're saying, just to maybe clarify things for us and everybody, is like he had uh, he certainly created a character. Mm-hmm. Where there would not have been one if it wasn't mm. for him. Oh, it but been um, totally he was also contributing to um, things like the the, the the killing set pieces. The, 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 he, he, it sounds like yeah. he made it like more violent, right? Like well, he was like well, even that, like let, let's have the women be scalped, that kind of thing. No, the scalping came from Savini because Savini had developed because oh, he could do it. Because he could do mm-hmm. it, and he's like, you know, it would be great. So all these guys are really sick, you know, dudes. 
you know, when you're talking about all the things that they wanted to do. But yeah. to your point earlier is that, you know, Joe created a lot of this character and it was Lustig's just kind of job to sort of like document it, you know, and, and that's what he just, you know, it's just like, I'm just going to film the world that Joe is kind of creating and inhabiting. Wow. That's like what this Amazing. movie really is. I mean, that's, that's how is. you could, that's, that's how you could very briefly encapsulate. It's like, yeah. it's, it's Joe Spinell's vision. Yeah. And it's just, just assisted. Yeah. Lustig was like, yeah, like assisting it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And one know, of my that... other, yeah, Dude. and yeah, no, it totally. And one of my other favorite little Joe eccentricity details that only he would come up with is, of course, you got to mention the shot of him crying and shooting that little that little toy sci-fi gun. Sure. <laughs> yeah. well, it's back to Marcus's point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the infant, you know, the 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 the, mm. the, the hurt yeah. child inside of Joe. Right. Right. Now, uh, maybe just uh, where are we? Twenty minute mark. Maybe just a few, like maybe just to kind of get a little more wider range on addressing this film. We're very Joe centric, as it sounds like we should be. But like, uh, this is one of the movies I like from that era. That's like a disco slasher, and uh, and yes. what I mean is, um, if, if I remember right, Miss Forty Five has some disco shit in it, right? Of course. Yep. Sort yeah. of, kind of. Yeah. Kind of, it's a little yeah, like, like no wave disco kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like no wave. Anyway, but more my point is. I always connect this film in a few ways to, again, Don't Go in the House, because Don't Go in the House has like, struck by boogie lightning. You know, like he listens to disco, because guess what? Disco was huge. Where? <laughs> in the tri-state yeah. area. I mean, no, no, I mean, right. everywhere. No, no, no. no. Yeah, what I'm yeah, saying yeah. is like, it was, you know, because it's Saturday Night Fever, you know, mm-hmm. Tony Monaro is so fucking Queens plumbing right off the bat. And yeah. so... Like it's like we got to get some disco in here. So, Queen's Plumbing is definitely in "Don't Go in the House" with Boogie Lightning song. But then, of course, what's the classic in this film? The Toe Tapper. That's kind of a Kid Creole thing uh, affiliated. Yes, that's group. yeah, uh, uh, Doctor Buzzard. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, did you want to say the, the name of the band? Go ahead. I mean, help us out. Oh, it's like uh, uh, Don Armando's Second Street Rumba Band. And like we, yeah, when you when I hear that song, and I was like, "Who is this?" and I looked Great it song. up, and I was like, okay. "I was like that name and the sound both remind me of Kid Creole and Doctor Buzzard, and of course, the dude was in the, he was in Doctor Buzzard's band too. So it's that kind of like right, late seventies, like, early eighties, kind of like forties disco mashup right. kind of thing. No, yeah. dude, I was just gonna say. There was a thing happening right at the end of the 70s, right at the end of the big boom disco. And it was like, there is a Lucille Ball disco rap. Or not yeah. rap, but it's a Lucille Ball disco where it's like, oh, Ricky. Da, da. It got so far mm. <laughs> into mid-century 40s and 50s as disco. And, and like Ethel Merman had a disco song. Yep, yeah. I'm not making this up. That yeah. like, um, that, that going to a showdown, that kind of like Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, like <laughs> Road to Morocco kind of yeah. disco kind of thing. Right. Like yeah. for some Everyone reason, talks about really how the, the 50s was really big in the 70s, but there's this undercurrent of people that were like, no, fuck the 50s. We're into the 40s. Yeah. And, yeah. and like- Kid Creole is, is all that. It's like Carmen yeah. Miranda's, you know, uh, Road to Bali kind of you know outfits and stuff. So uh, of right. course it wound up in um, yeah showdown. It's a killer ass song, and uh, so I just want to give a shout out to Disco Slashers um, and a real you know totally you know is uh, representative of the time and place again. Yeah. Tri-state area, late seventies. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Yeah, Let's- the Italians did it too, right? That uh, don't go in the park or whatever. Isn't that like another slasher disco kind of like anyway just whatever disco 
horror Slashes. rules for sure. Let's Slasher. let's let's spend a few <laughs> minutes talking about let's spend a few minutes talking about the controversy of this movie if we can just for a minute. Yeah. <clears throat> and then and then I do want to talk about my favorite scene in the movie. My favorite scenes in the movie. Um, let's do it. Controversy. But, uh, but controversy, I mean, obviously this movie has a fucking insane movie poster. Uh, maybe one of the most <laughs> insane rough. movie posters of all time. It's rough. Um, I saw it. It was in the New York Times. You know, we get it every Sunday. And, uh, you know, I was real young still. And I saw it and I went, hey, man, I know horror, baby. But, like, that's going too far, you know, <laughs> yeah. because I was like, like that, like, it's so unsubtle. It's like the penis bulge. That's running along the blood tip knife. It's like, come on. Like, it's just like, uh, it's so bad. And it really does feel like, like uh, women who were against pornography then, like uh, they had a case. They would just like, it was exhibit A. It was just like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, exactly. What is this? Because it was so, the sexualization of it was so on the surface and overt. More than like Halloween was, it's, you know. It's definitely a big factor in the films. Like it's a horrific poster. It, it it's rendered so well. It's like it's got a nice. It's really airbrushed really nicely or whatever they did. It like looks looks great. It feels like it doesn't feel seventies to me. It always feels like eighties, you know, to me. Which I think kind of like about this film. It's got that kind of right, like, enough, in, enough in between okay. in between the seventies okay. and eighties, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, I got you. I, I think uh, with that poster is definitely like one of the reasons I think the film is still like notorious and like it has a lot to do with the film's success. And I think it's, I even saw like uh, Lustig call that out too, and say that the film, the poster had a lot to do with the film, like getting. Uh, well, it was going a lot further than I think they that ever was the. It would, I think that yeah. was the main controversy, though. You know, like like yeah, because uh, there were people. You know, you I can think see, it was definitely. Yeah, you, you didn't you see, see it. I just saw the poster. See, you can see footage of people, uh, like in New York City or uh, in other places, who are living in their apartments, and outside their fucking window <laughs> is a billboard. Well, that was in L.A. Like, or in L.A. Yeah. Right, right, right. In my, anyway, in L.A., there's an architecture firm that had a small uh, uh, billboard uh, like across from their parking lot. So they'd like go, good morning, like have coffee and open the window. And it's like with the knife. And they were like, fuck this. And there's video footage of it. Yeah. The man. woman who ran the, the architecture firm, Painting she just over. had it whitewashed and, yeah. and they had that white paint over. They were like, enough. I don't need this shit. Yeah. You know, and I and I actually really get it. It's it's it feels oppressive and it feels like. Like things are going too far. I mean, this is like four years after Snuff. Yeah, Snuff being a film that was packaged, packaged, packaged as being like, uh, "Hey, I think people like oh, this woman really gets murdered at the end of this movie." Like, starts Friday, five bucks, and it's just like, "What are we doing?" You know. And I think mm -hmm. that there was just a real outrage and exhaustion about. Um, I think more more than something like Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween, because some people might think it's like it was silly, like Siskel and Ebert were like really outraged about rather watered down kind of films but this film i think there is a case for um finding offense to it and maybe making a connection like a guy could see this who's on the edge and going great that sounds like my, my weekend i want to do that because he could sick. do that you yeah. know and so i don't know how i feel about yeah. it i mean like uh and it's too good like we're just full circle in that spinel's too good savini's makeup is too good so it's just too strong right you know? You don't see the wires and the and the, the scotch tape, you know, like most horror movies. There's, a, I guess, Siskel was really hard reacting to this movie too. And there, I saw a news segment where he's talking about how um, they were showing like a loop of this movie, like outside of theaters and stuff. That's right. Like, they did that at Times Square. So, yeah, and I guess they, it looked like it was done like a 16 too, maybe like a telecine type thing. It's not even like a VHS I think tape. No, it's I like think you're right. Little, yeah. 
And um, and he was just talking about, I think that's wrong. They shouldn't be doing that, you know, just exposing the general public to like the goriest scenes of this movie. It's pretty nuts. Like, it's really uh, nuts. Well, really that. well, they wanted to do I, something. I, I think I think there was good intention. I, I really think, especially if you have not seen the film and just on the surface, it could feel like the, you know, like the walls are falling down of civilization. Like yeah. this is acceptable. <laughs> this is not X rated. What are we doing yeah. society? You know, right. I guess, like, I totally see your point, and I, I always kind of fall back on when I think about this stuff because it is like I have the same fears too. You know, who wouldn't when you watch a movie like this that it's going to like influence somebody or whatever? But I always fall back at the end of the day. I always think like, oh well, if movies and video games like cause people to kill people, then we'd all be dead, right? Yeah, because it's true. There's just so much of that shit. It's so pervasive in our. It, society, it's a debate. You know? It's a debate. I think not to. I'm for some reason I'm taking this role, but I will for just. <laughs> No, just for the thought experiment. Sure. I think what there's, I think the smart people would be saying, not even impressionable kids, but an adult who, like I said earlier, was on the edge. You know, like John Hinckley is an example. Like John Hinckley wasn't doing so hot, and then he saw Taxi Driver. You know what I mean? And I don't, mm-hmm. but I still don't think there's a correlation with Taxi Driver enough where it's like we have to like have no one be able to see Taxi Driver. It's just uh, keep it in mind, kind of culture, civilization here. And I think that it's about people who are on the edge feeling um, excited and emboldened and not like someone who's totally normal walking into Maniac, like, uh, yeah, I'm feeling good. You know, I just, uh, my kids, uh, first week in school, you know, oh, I got to murder people. I just saw this movie. <laughs> it's just, I think it's more like people who are like right, right. really yeah. borderline. So I All think right. there's, I think there is some validity to it. Moving on. All right. Moving on. Up. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, th- I mean, th- that's basically it. I mean, but the movie was a hit at Cannes, which I think is uh, funny. And, and no, it's Cannes. Cannes. It was big Cannes on the Quasette. It was a big deal. They were raving. And they were standing up. They were like, ooh la la. Maniac. I, yeah. And I, I think it's funny that Joe Spinell got Sylvester Stallone to march down the Quasette in a Maniac shirt. Uh, but I guess he did. Really? Um, is yeah, there a video of that? I got to find oh. it. Yeah. So good. So amazing. Um, all right. I got to talk okay. about my favorite scenes and my favorite just little underrated passage in the movie because it's a big deal and it speaks also to what also made this movie great uh, or, you know, really effective. Um, <clears throat> so there were a lot of ideas. I won't bring up the clam, but there's a lot of ideas that, you know, uh, Joe Spinell wanted to do, you know, with this movie and Lustig was always kind of having to rein him in or he'd have to entertain him, you know, to some extent to keep him happy and they'd get into fights and whatever. But what would happen is literally when Bill Lustig would clock out, you know, making this movie, I'm done today, everybody, Joe Spinell and his best friend, Luke Walter, would presumably, I'm guessing, do big fat rails, steal the camera equipment and go out and shoot stuff in the middle of the night. Okay. And (laughs) is that um, in the film? Is anybody in the film? The best stuff. Oh, fuck. Like what? Okay, so the best stuff was the... Imagine the scene not being in the movie if this didn't happen. The yeah, scenes yeah. of Can Joe guess? Spinell... Sure. Can I guess? Yep. Mannequin? Yes. Window? The shots, the okay. shots of, of Joe Spinell <laughs> oh, yeah. in the mannequin store windows, which are beautifully like shot. Like Some of the coolest looking stuff is shot by a guy Very who doesn't good. know how to operate the mm-hmm. fucking camera. You know? Oh! And it's, oh, and it's, it's Joe Spinell <laughs> looking at all the mannequins... And uh, great. you know, and it, it very adds, lyrical, like, yeah. And it totally the like music. Adds, yep, mm-hmm. the, the music adds kind of like a sympathetic quality. You're getting more into that mind, and it kind of you know really builds the. It's character getting out. pretty close yeah. to an art an art house film right then. Exactly, it's total 
Queens Plumbing Art House. And the uh, <laughs> so, but but uh, Luke Walter is such an an, an incredible character in all this too. I mean, that was his car. You know that uh, the the big the big headshot was shot in that we keep talking about. You know, so Luke uh, played a big part into kind of making this movie too. I mean, he's actually credited as the assistant to Mr. Spinell in the credits, but he's a character as well too. He's actually in Goodfellas uh, for a second. Oh, he's in what? what? Ooh, ooh, ooh. He's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very quick. Tom, you'll know it's a very quick scene where Joe, Joe Pesci takes out the the truck driver out of the seat uh, out of the front seat and oh, slaps course. him around. Yeah, that's Luke. He's like. You don't know who uh, we are. Yeah. Like, yeah. But we yeah, know who exactly. you are. Right. Exactly. Really? Okay. <laughs> That's, Luke. All right. That's Luke. And fun little fact to tie Taxi Driver into all this, too, is uh, you know, Joe Spinell is in Taxi Driver, but 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 Joe, just to show the connection between him and Luke, he brought Luke also for the audition, and Spinell tried to get Luke the role of the security, the, uh, sorry, the Secret Service agent. Uh, and the reason is he, he marched in and he told Scorsese, he goes, my friend Luke, you know, he knows what it's like to be shot. He's been shot a dozen times by an Uzi while he was working security during a bank robbery, which is true. He was, this guy's been shot a dozen times. So he didn't yeah. get the part, Wow! but he's in Goodfellas. And, uh, and, uh, but Luke is amazing. I think they wanted more of a wasp, ultimately, yeah. for the sure. security guard and text driver. Go ahead. Totally. But so Luke's a fascinating character, and him and Joe intersected in a lot of different ways. I got to know Luke uh, personally because I was working at Troma, everybody's favorite. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> that was my first, uh, my first film job. Uh, but, there was a time when we, you know, re-released this movie here, the last horror film, which is the follow-up right, right. to Maniac, uh, kind of a filmed at Cannes sequel, filmed at Cannes, and uh, it's Carolyn Monroe and Joe Spinell uh, back at it in another horror movie. It's not really that great at all, but um, it's a curio it, though. It is a curio. It is, and and so I basically reached out to Luke Walter through the advice of Lustig to kind of get some insight. And it was pretty amazing just, uh, you know, reaching out to him, doing the inf- doing the interview, learning more about Joe Spinell. And Luke actually wanted to do the interview at a strip club in Queens, which he which he drugged me out to on a Wednesday morning during a lasagna buffet. Um, oh, but, um, shut up. <laughs> yeah. And the reason Wednesday morning, it was horrible. But the reason we went, uh, I was like, why are we at a strip club at Wednesday morning? You know, right now. Oh, and it was because God, yeah. that was the place Gallagher's in Queens. That was the place that Joe was the night before he died. And, uh, oh, he, wow. Okay. He partied hardy at, at Gallagher's. And unfortunately, um, you know, he slipped in the shower, you know, uh, when he got back home and, and, he, and he was a hemophiliac. This is super dark now. But that's how he died. He bled out in the shower. Um, and so it was so it was just, this, yeah, it was this really crazy thing. And so we kind of were back in that hmm. space and he hadn't been back there since. And so it was oh, really freaky. Uh, but it stuck with me, that experience of meeting Luke. He was such a character. He was pretty... I just got to give him a shout out because he was such a character. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. You know I, I remember the second I met him, he was like, uh, yeah, my uh, kid wouldn't get out of bed this morning, so I had to put a fucking hole in the wall. You know, he's like one of those guys. Um, and so... <laughs> so uh, but he inspired me enough to kind of make my own little maniac, you know, uh, and, and how we were talking about how maniac is very much... You know, Bill Lustig capturing the character that uh, Joe Spinell is creating and the world Joe Spinell is creating. You're kind of this objective camera. I kind of did my own DIY student film starring Luke, who was channeling his best friend Joe in that same sort of way. So I think our 
are. This is getting like Nathan Fielder here. It is. It is. It is. And so I don't want to eat up too much. And then he was filming me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right. But I don't want to eat up too much of the clock because after we after we're past the show, I do want to show you guys a bit of this footage that I actually uh, found on VHS, captured it. And uh, reimport it. I'll I'll show it after we're done here because I don't want to eat up too much of the clock. But like just a kind like of fun a, a moment it up. We could do it as a moment. Yeah, we'll do it as a moment. But right. uh, we'll it's just kind of a fun thing well, because they're so connected. The, the, these two guys. I got you. I, I, I look forward to seeing that. Yeah. yeah. So um, you know, one thing I noticed that we haven't talked about much is uh, is is William Lustig. Uh, Lustig. You know, like um, I don't know now. I'm a little confused. Like when and where do I credit him? You know, like in in, in um, his filmmaking. But I find really effective um, the great classic suspenseful Hitchcockian kind of horror moment it, with the subway pursuit of the nurse. Mm-hmm. It's very well handled, yeah. And uh, the way it resolves in uh, maybe one of the worst places that a person could wind up in which is the bathroom of the New York City 1980s subway. <laughs> uh, holy shit, what a location. But just, yeah, how it's like, it becomes so dreamlike because it's um, completely just a, a, an unpopulated world. It becomes just her and this uh, the stalker, the, 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 you know, the predator. And I don't know, I just find that really effective filmmaking. And I'm assuming that I should properly be credit, crediting Lustwig in this case for like that yeah. set piece. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 I totally. heard it was sort of like a big, you know, bunch of people working together, a family type movie, you know, like everyone Absolutely. pitching in ideas and going for it. You know, um, that that subway thing has a really cool uh, has a really cool visual moment, too, where they they punch in like yeah. on the stairs. Love that. And then it, go, then it goes, it punches in on her reaction, the sort of like hard, like post, like edit kind of punch in type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so where well, it's like you're saying the 16 is so punched in that it's the grain really starts becoming accentuated. It's grainier, yeah, yeah. And they do yeah, that's the that. last shot of the movie does that same trick too. Mm-hmm. But I, just, I mm-hmm. love when there's just a couple of cool camera tricks in a movie, you know, and, the, and that they're they're uh, you know they're subtle with their use of it. Uh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, there's some nice rock and roll stylization once in a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like <clears throat> that that set piece in the subway is a perfect example of like him constructing you know uh like a truly suspenseful moment in that i mean that'd be terrifying to have a guy like that you know chasing you exactly it's also it's also kind of smart too because the way the new york city subway works it's like sometimes there's only one staircase down and to get Mm -hmm. out of the subway you have to go out the same way that you went down so you have to actually go back towards him to run out you know which is really scary yeah and there's um, only one uh exit you know Yeah. It's back out the, the entrance. No, exactly. And just like, uh, and, and, and so I guess, you know, like we were saying, it's so DIY and rock and roll that like, I'm, sh- I'm assuming it was done at like 3 a.m. You know, at a, I'd love to know the stop actually, because that's the other thing about New York subways. It's like, it depends on what stop you're deserted on. Well, <laughs> you know, well, do you have an idea? Well, yeah, because one, and, and, and one thing that's awesome about this movie, too, when you dig into the commentary and stuff, like with that subway scene, it's actually like three or four different subway stops, you know, that are kind of cobbled together. And then there's so much of this movie, like the scene with the head explosion in the car, the whole way that scene plays out was shot in like three different locations on like, you know, weeks apart from each other. And like there's so right. much of that cobbling together little pieces and making it all kind of work seamlessly, you know, mm-hmm. in, in this run and gun style movie. And I think that 
like it like if this movie were the same movie but had so much more money it would be way less interesting because yeah. it's just that sort of run and gun DIY queens plumbing auteur. <laughs> Can think of an example of know, that. Right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 <laughs> punk rock of time, you know. And maybe let's just. Uh, I wonder how they oh, just uh, real quick before we leave on the subway. I just wonder how they light that stuff. Like there's some things in the movie you can <laughs> feel that they had to push it, like on the beach. I'm sure the they're just blasting the, out the exposure. Yeah, it's not the same thing. They they had to push it in the telecine or something. You can tell they had to lift the black, I or like saw lift everything. But for the beach, yeah. Like, how do they even get any exposure in the subway? It's they had crazy, a process. You know? They had a process to the way that they were processing the movie or something with the stock, where they were able to do a lot of low light stuff with the film, and they knew they had to do that. I mean, they're like at least they like they really knew what they were doing in terms of the post, and and I think Lustig from his background knew a lot about you know. The post oh, that's a good point. Like and how to so, prep. Yeah. Anticipation of the limitations and stereo. He knew because well, he stereo. did porn. Right? He did. Right. He did. And and like stereo was a new concept, like right around that time in terms of mixing. And so he really, I mean, this movie pushes that to a whole nother level. And he was pushing what he could do, you know, with the limited huh. means that he had. So that is a right. huge part of how he should be credited to this. Is that his technical? Well, and and then and just the MVP. We got a minute or so, but I just wanted. To, I'll just say it, and then you guys just go off. I'll shut up. Just Tom Savini. I mean, yeah. Powers, I mean, you know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Tom Savini, obviously one of the best, you know, in the business for what he does. Coming off of Dawn of the Dead and going into this movie, and it's like, you know, he, you know, with this had so much shit laying around the house by this point, and it's interesting that in that scene when all the mannequins are pulling him apart and you see like the decapitated head woman coming up, uh, you know, from the bed, mm. that is the mother from Friday the Thirteenth. I, mean, I knew it. I, I recognize that to kept yeah, yeah. because for, if, if I'm understanding this right, he spent his days in New Jersey in the yeah, woods and shooting Friday, and then the nights he was shooting Maniac. That's from yeah, what so I'm understanding. I was just going to say that it's like that's his year is 79. I think like uh, he's at it. I think I guess I'm just saying at Maniac. You're seeing his full powers come to bore. Side note, mm. also. Oh no! Wait, he didn't. He didn't do the nightmare effects no, right he didn't marcus take it home you want to say something oh no. uh i don't know anything about the nightmare effects no uh, i thought you had something else you want to say uh the oh, music i was just gonna say that savini the reason he's in it is because he had his head his head was like he that's already right had that head sculpted and that's right. why he got the cameo might okay, as right. well be in the car and the music all right that's awesome. all right all right all right that's it um great movie um not for everybody no, <laughs> uh, and especially maybe not these days. I don't know. I don't know. Apologies I don't know anymore. to anyone who watched the uh, Netflix Jonah Hill, uh, Emma Stone, <laughs> yeah, uh, movie Maniac, or if they were confused, know, or, or, or <laughs> Godspeed to anyone who saw it for any reason whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> or side note, I love you, Elijah Wood, but oi, that oh, uh, reboot, you know, that's honest. Yeah. Just uh, let's yeah. let sleeping dogs lie sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Um, we did it, folks. Uh, um, I was thinking we should maybe, I don't know if we're light, God, we're not lightening things up, but I was just wanted to mention <laughs> we're going to have next week's show, of course, and uh, I, I'm inclined to lighten things up. It's How the about summer the week bummer. after? I know, it's a summer of bummer. The week after next, we're going to lighten things up. Like, let's yeah. do that a lot. Let's have like an ice cream movie, for Christ's sake, you know? Sure. Um, <laughs> Mystic like, Pizza. <laughs> boom. There you go. Mermaids. 
<laughs> so uh, I, would, I could do it, Mauer. Ramey would do that. <laughs> Splash. It's his honor. <laughs> Splash. All right. Well, Splash. Yeah. We'll figure it out. But because next week, for some reason, we're yeah we're riding the bummer train all the way to the final stop, man. Yeah, we are. Ooh, ooh. Uh, and uh, next week is. Next week's episode uh, will be one fucking hour. Um, we're doing a, a double dip here on an, another uh, a, a director we've covered previously on the show. I'm anxious to get back to his work because he's one fucking hour ready. Uh, and that is Nicholas Rogue. And we are going to be doing his film, Oive, same year as Maniac, Bad Timing from 1980. <laughs> <laughs> Starring uh, Art Gart Funkel. Bad Art- vibe. Yeah. Exactly. And taxi drivers, Harvey Keitel. From, yeah, from, from now on, like you have to to be a movie considered on this show, you have to right. have a char- an actor or a director that's previously well, appeared in another episode. It's <laughs> it's the one degrees of one fucking hour, you know. Yeah. Uh, exactly. yeah, you have to have at this point some kind of connection, or more to the point, like this, there is kind of a lattice work or a tree like diagram of our films and and how they can. I mean, I'm sure there's many connections that we're spacing on, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, like Peter Falk, right? Somewhere in there, maybe. Is you know? he? Oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh, like. Well, I just mean like in one, some film we're not even thinking about. But oh, he probably, oh, oh, you know, oh, oh. like, right. yeah, just for an example. Yeah. But uh, that's just the kind of guys we are. That's kind of what we're picking, I guess. <laughs> All right. But we got through it. We did Maniac. I guess we should uh, close it out the traditional way. Yeah, we're gonna do that. If I can set up this. Uh, Moment of Zen a little bit, uh, if you guys don't mind. Uh, so, as I mentioned, you know, on the show, this is the world premiere screening of this <laughs> movie that I made with Joe Spinell's best friend, uh, Luke Walter. I just want to give a little preface to this, if I may, boys. Please entertain me. Uh, indulge me for a minute. So, yeah. So basically, this was filmed, I think, in two thousand seven, maybe. I think so. It's 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 a, it's fifteen years ago, and uh, I basically just fell in love with this guy. When I met him, I thought he was just like the coolest dude ever. I loved hearing stories about Joe and making Maniac and all this stuff. And I just like called him up and I was like, "Hey, this weekend, my friends and I, you know, we're gonna make a movie. You want to be in a movie?" And um, I told him I just had this image in my head of him standing on top of a uh, pickup truck with a sledgehammer and I just wanted that sledgehammer to come down and smash through a windshield that's that's the image that I had and he just was like eh of course we'll do that eh you know come on let's do it you know so he was like what I think he was in his early 70s so he was just down you know to do this and so uh in the tradition of in the tradition of maniac okay he, he he shows up to my house and he and he and he and he rolls up and uh, by coincidence, in my living room, my roommate had a mannequin, okay, in the living room. And he immediately zeroed in Uh-oh. on that. And I think that's what opened the maniac door. And immediately, he clutched the mannequin and fell, fell to the ground and started crying, basically. Screaming, why did I do this to you? Why did I do this to you? And so I'm, I'm rolling this, and I'm filming this on VHS, because, you know, it was that time we're all experimenting with shooting things on VHS. And I'm filming this, and um, we do a scene or two, and then you know he calls cut, and he and he goes over to me and he says, "I think I found my character's motivation." And I was like, "Okay, what's that?" And he's like, "You see this mannequin over motivation. here?" Motivation. Yeah, you see this mannequin over here. This mannequin represents a woman I used to love, 
And so I killed her, and I cut up her body into small pieces, and I'm sitting here on this couch over here, because we were filming on my couch, and he's like, I'm sitting here on this couch imagining a wasteland in my mind, and I'm in the wasteland with the sledgehammer, smashing through shit to try and figure out where I hit the parts of her body. <laughs> you know, and so I was like, all right. And I was like, all right, lovely. we're making we're making that, you know, lovely. We're making that movie, you know. And so that's what I sort of committed to, you know, and I'm just following him and letting him call the shots. And it didn't turn out to anything that I was really happy with, but for the spirit of tonight's moment, uh, I just cut something together very quickly just to show you this footage of a 73-year-old man and his sledgehammer and uh, actually climbing on top of a car that we found in a junkyard and smashing the windshield. So it's pretty amazing. Okay. So this is warning. Very Can't student, wait. Can't wait. Sounds very, good. Very student filmy. So warning. But here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Moment. What did he think of it? He was so (laughs) into it. He was so into it. He was just like into. He loved it, right? All experimentation, and it it must have been a similar experience to what Maniac was like, you know. And for Joe, like just like so into it, and the the like we were talking about the like Queens plumbing sort of thing, and that was on full effect here in terms of just like okay, he's coming up with a zillion Mm -hmm. ideas, and I'm just following it, trying to do it, but. He was. It was so cool just to see like him. Well, you were his lusting. I was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's all no, we did. Just to, just we, we basically <laughs> in this Nathan Fielder rehearsal version of. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. some reason, you guys are doing your maniac. I love it. Sold. Right. Exactly. So there you go. There it is. Uh, world premiere. All right, and maybe we'll give you a little bonus <laughs> moment. Of Zen, and we will see you next week, everybody. Uh, uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, that was one fucking hour on Maniac. We'll see you next week for another bummer. Uh, it's the summer of bummer here at one fucking hour. And uh, right. so long, everybody. Yeah. Let's wait. All right, guys. Be nice to each other. Bye. <laughs> okay. Bye, Marcus. You got to wave. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Bye. I have a lot to say. First of all, being in the, these are my spokes. First of all, being in the first Godfather, I have this to say: the Godfather was nominated for the best picture and won, but the director, Bob Fosse, a cabaret won. That's bullshit. You cannot have the best picture unless the director is also nominated. Who made the picture?
Somebody's mother? The director. This man made yours. Are you kidding? Who's kidding who around here? This is a dark day in Hollywood. Absolutely. This is a, shining, this is a very this is dark, a dark day. day for our pals. The greatest picture of all time was made, and they haven't recognized the director. The director. Who made it? The shark? Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Mm.